This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to Digital Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. Today, I'm pleased to host a longtime colleague, Yap Groot, who just became CEO of Fractus and Tennis. Yap has founded, built, and sold several businesses during his career and worked for Qualcomm, Mixed Telematics, and Sigfox. He was most recently VP of Business Development for the LoRa team at Semtech and vice chair of the LoRa Alliance. Yap graduated with an MS Physics and Management from Eindhoven University of Technology. Welcome, Yap. Hey, Ken. Thank you for this uh, introduction and the opportunity to discuss the digital IoT landscape with Momenta. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. This has been long overdue. You gosh, uh, you and I have crossed paths several times. I guess starting all the way back in your uh, your Sigfox days, and so it's uh, it's been something I've wanted to do for quite a while. So I'm glad you took the the time and we were able to do it. So let's start with your professional journey. Tell us a bit about your background and how it has informed your views of digital industry. Well, frankly, right after university, which seems uh, ages ago now, I, I jumped to Comdex. Perhaps you recall this with, was one of the major global events for computers and softwares in the days. I and do remember where, it. Yeah, good old Las Vegas. <laughs> exactly, exactly. This is where I connected with uh, Roadshow, who was one of the first company with, uh, with maps on a computer uh, using huge laser disk at the size of an LP record. And what attracted me was their ability to build digital roadmaps on top of the actual scan of the paper map stored on the disk. In the end, you as a solution, this was uh, enabling a whole new era of routing and scheduling optimization for trucking and logistic companies. And when this card uh, acquired Roadshow, after a couple of years, I decided to start a new venture, TripTech, using what I knew by then about uh, this kind of technology. And we were using the digitized roadmaps from Teleatlas, uh, which is now part of TomTom, and then adding onboard uh, truck computers to the solution such that we could wirelessly exchange information about the load and the driving hours and the truck. And actually, we ran the first ever uh, data communication service with trucks using KPN's uh, SMSC. And I can tell you, latency in those days was measured in minutes. <laughs> when uh, when Qualcomm wanted to expand their uh, Omnitrax business, uh, they decided to acquire TripTech. So we merged that uh, GSM, GSM TDMA-centric business with their satellite business uh, by the time serving, I think, about 1,000 customers and 100,000 trucks. And a little later after that merger, uh, the first cloud type of solutions started emerging. Until then, it was just PC-based software. Uh, so we decided to build another uh, startup called Findware, uh, which was obviously driven by a cloud-centric service to track mobile phones through uh, cell ID and, and, and GPS. And that service became very popular for, uh, for private investigators. And uh, I must admit it was great fun as we ran into plenty of curious stories uh, where we had to explain that the person in question was really in the place indicated on the map. And at some point, we even considered selling fake locations as a counter for the cheating husband. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a it was a fun time. Um, but in, in in the meantime, I had moved to Toulouse in France, and uh, simply because the climate here is much better as in the Netherlands, and real estate more affordable. And that's where I, in 2012 I became aware of Sigfox and LoRa, and and I kind of realized there's a whole new wireless disruption starting to happen, and I, I wanted to be part of it. And you and you truly have been. Um, I'd say much more than a part of it. You've been an active uh, proponent and leader in it as well. I, I was impressed to kind of go back to your background again. Your my times kind of starts at at Sigfox. I always thought you was kind of the the LP WAN guy, but uh, when I go back and look at all of this early work you did in geolocation and specifically in Europe, which doesn't produce nearly as many out-of-college entrepreneurs, I'd say, than, than the U.S. And so you were really quite progressive at the time. So Roadshow, Digital Map Company, uh, you know, exiting Descartes, uh, founding TripTech, Telematics Company, sold to Qualcomm, uh, and then Findware, which um, I believe is still very active in, uh, in the space. So let me ask, what attracted you generally to this geolocation space originally and to being an, uh, an entrepreneur or serial entrepreneur within it? Yeah, well, keep keep in mind, I truly like disruptive ideas. And and, and to me, entrepreneurial blood or DNA is something you, you cannot learn. You have it or you don't. Um, so so I, I like to scale up companies and, and I always like to look for common denominators or so-called horizontal solutions, which can serve multiple requirements in different markets. And by doing so, you kind of de-risk the failure of one market or you protect against general headwinds in certain solution environments. And geolocation is just one of those elements that basically is part of many vertical solutions. And there are many different ways to determine where someone or something is. Some very accurate and power hungry, others embedded in the radio technology, however, often with less accuracy. So when we started around 2003 with a web portal to offer opt-in only cell ID tracking of mobile phones, many people, including analysts and, and press, were worried about or even complaining about privacy. I was in, in many papers and people you know, were kind of aggressive even maybe. But nowadays, can you imagine TikTok follows you every 30 seconds and people simply consent to it. So it's, it's even in a small print, but of course you don't read it. So there are these waves of technologies that are evolving or sometimes completely new and disrupting. And those enable whole new galaxies of business. The challenge being, of course, to pick the right one at the right moment or abort in time, because not everything has been a success, to be honest. If you identify something is not developing as expected. Well, I, I, I suspect that um, your move into the LP WAN space follows really kind of that same thematic horizontal solutions, waves of technologies and making the right move at the right time. So um, as you mentioned, you, you jumped into Sigfox, I believe it was 2013, but at least that's when we met each other. You know, what, what, what really inspired you to move into this emerging LP WAN space and very specifically, uh, of course, unlicensed spectrum? Well, Indeed, in, in those days, uh, let's say uh, the, the, the market was do dominated, the M2M market, because it wasn't called IoT in those days, uh, was dominated by cellular players. Uh, you bought uh, subscriptions, uh, mostly uh, for, uh, for phones and, and modems. And then we kind of hit a, a wall with the power consumption and the cost of using uh, 2G or GPRS. Uh, so we couldn't connect more objects. You could do trucks, in some cases vans, some, some machines that were uh, expensive enough and the ROI was justifiable. 
But when Sigfox surfaced with a new wireless technology, and I think you recall they have been promoting $1 a year connectivity from the get-go, you know, uh, th that technology eliminates uh, the power constraints and, and creates a, an ROI for even very simple objects. So uh, this is an opportunity to connect almost anything. And in the end, the people started calling the industry the Internet of Things, and we nailed the connectivity part with uh, Jim Morris, that you also well know as uh, low power wide area. So LP1 really was invented in, in, in those days. And this was the beginning of a, of a new era. era of the first period was extremely intensive. Moving a new tech into new markets is always the hardest. And building the right business model and the go-to-market strategy and the brand awareness from scratch took a huge effort and unrelated funding. But think of it like giving a kid a, a box of Lego and ask him to build a car without any instructions. I bet out of 10 kids, you will get 10 different cars in all forms and shape. Some good and some really more driven by fantasy. In business, typically experience helps to avoid common mistakes. However, if you're doing something that has, has not been done before, you need strong leadership <clears throat> and an agile team to respond to the market feedback and issues that the technology simply is not yet ready for. At Sixfox, we had to deal with an enormous expectation triggered by the investments made, which in my opinion led to overexposure, resulting in, in non-achievement of the plans and frustration, both internally as well as in the marketplace. However, it has been proven before, uh, many companies that bring the first disruption are not the ones that ultimately become successful. Before Facebook launched in 2004, there was Friendster in 2002 and MySpace in 2003, both of which who do no longer exist. So in a move, I would say, is akin to jumping from leading the Coke company to leading Pepsi. Uh, you moved uh, to Semtech in 2015 from Sigfox, helping to build and scale Laura and LoRaWAN. I recall being um, at a conference where you were on the stage, actually, I think it was in Berlin, uh, soon thereafter, you were debating Laura versus Sigfox with your former head of uh, marketing there, uh, Tomas, as I remember. And it was it was at that time, I think I realized what a brilliant salesperson you were because the ability to literally make the change and then ardently defend it in, fr in front of a very large uh, group of people was pretty phenomenal in my mind. So so um, you might have mentioned it a moment ago, but, but why the jump? So I, I compare Sigfox more to a T-Ford. You know, it was the brilliant first car maker which was able to mass produce cars at a very affordable price that drove success. The problem with that was you could pick any color as long as it was black. And I'm not sure if people realize, but there is a business reason behind it, simply because black paint dried faster. And as a result, uh, it reduces cost to the manufacturer and increased the production levels. The same kind of logic applies to, to Sigfox. A very solid radio technology sold in a proprietary business model and using the unlicensed band to reduce cost. So the black for Sigfox on the technology side is their uplink only, or to be frank, the very limited downlink, which certainly does not allow for upgrades. Uh, so you can't put devices in the field for five or 10 years and assume that everything is going to be stable. You know, every six months we have new mobile phones. In IoT, there is also upgrades needed. Second, there is no real security, meaning that the ecosystem has to deal with the encryption, which is not easy in a 12-byte in a message. And last, there are limitations in capacity, uh, not so relevant in the early stage. However, if you become successful and millions of messages float around, the technology better be ready for it. And all these implementation choices were made for good reasons, given the rules that exist in the unlicensed sub band. 
free uh, in the end means everyone should have access to the band and that requires regulation. Uh, in hindsight, it is nowadays kind of clear why LoRa has about a tenfold bigger installed base in terms of uh, sensors connected to the cloud. And for Sigfox, uh, it continues to, to limit their true fit or value for, for many IoT solutions. On top of that, there is a longevity risk in the business model. Uh, remember, Sigfox has burned well over 300 million and the company is still struggling to, to be cash positive. When I tried to warn them uh, during my tenure there for, for these kind of topics and provided clear alternatives, there seemed to be little appetite to change. For example, we, we deployed the business model in Spain, where Sigfox was the licensor and Celnex, uh, the tower company that rolled out the network and operated it, and very sure as end customer with a very clear anti-jamming anti uh, solution for home alarms. And that has proven to be a success. Until today, this is still their single biggest customer. But it became clear to me uh, that the, the core issues like a non-exclusive operator model, a distributed cloud allowing data to stay on-premise or in-country, and more open device and gateway ecosystem, all of this were, were part of my vision for LP1, but not acceptable to Sigfox. So I opted to, to put my energy towards an open technology and build a standards organization around it. Well, you must have done something right, because in your tenure at Semtech, the market value has tripled. As we're recording this, they are at a record uh, $64 a share, which is uh, over a 10-year high for them. Um, so the market seemed to recognize the value, uh, the potential of uh, LPWAN, and specifically LoRaWAN in that. Um, what do you see as the future of LPWAN, and how do you think this breaks down between licensed spectrum plays like NB-IoT versus unlicensed ones like LoRa and Sigfox? So in my opinion, the future of LP1 is that there is no future. The issue being that uh, low power will need to become no power, and wide area networks will become massively deployed through extremely low cost small cells, like what you see in the cellular industry. Meaning the wide or the long range aspect becomes less relevant because you simply have more access points or, or gateways. And uh, unfortunately, I cannot disclose all that's on the horizon, but by the time this interview will go online, I'm pretty sure you can find a real good story for, for LoRa and Semtech on a next generation network type of deployment that will disrupt the market. So in my opinion, LP1 will disappear, and in a few years, everyone will most likely refer to LoRa like we refer to Wi-Fi today. On the edge, uh, I predict that the devices and the socks will become multi-radio technology or multi-rat, uh, potentially even fully software-defined and enabled through the cloud with dedicated application containers and hooks in the next 10 years. And with the current opening of the spectrum for Wi-Fi 6E, which is happening all over the world, uh, I do believe unlicensed will be dominating, certainly in terms of volume. Uh, the so-called massive uh, IoT. And the license band will be merely used for low latency, extreme high service level agreements, and high throughput solutions and markets. Well, it's quite a set of predictions there. Uh, I, I probably couldn't have predicted that the future of LPWAN is no future, but I love this idea of low power to no power and wide area to effectively uh, micro cell, if you will, or micro location. Pretty interesting stuff, and I'm looking forward, of course, to hearing what uh, you know what what the markets have to say about some of the announcements coming up. But uh, so all of this deep entrepreneurial and, and LP one experience, if I can still call it that, has culminated in your newest venture, Fractus Antennas. So 
tell me a bit about the company and the problem you are trying to solve and why. So I, I regularly make analysis of bottlenecks to take a technology to its, its full potential. In the end, I've become less of an engineer. And many people much better at that than, than I am today, uh, despite my university background and title. But about a year ago, uh, after many discussions with wireless designers and software developers and device makers, it became clear to me that antennas and uh, the related design complexity are holding back uh, the IoT markets. And in the end, uh, this can be explained. If you lose a couple of dBs, uh, it reduces the range of a device by 50%. The end result being it, it can't connect and the perception is uh, the technology is not good, but it's an antenna issue. And the same dBs that you have lost in your antenna design also require you to transmit with higher power, which has an impact on, on battery life. So the, the reason for that, that today is the, the antenna is mostly at the end of the design cycle, something which will be, need to change because it's a critical part of the edge system and impacts core values as coverage and battery lifetime. So the ideal world obviously would be that devices automatically adapt the antenna performance to the actual whereabouts of a device. Take a, a smart watch, which is close to the human body, that's not very ideal for uh, antenna performance. So when I learned about Fractus antennas, I, I got really excited as they've developed uh, antenna solutions and IP that reduce the complexity to something that any developer can, uh, can understand and apply in their devices. And on top of that, it does not require custom designs. It covers all the sub-gig and cellular bands all the way up to 10 gig in, in one product, enabling one SKU for a global deployment and dramatically speeding up time to market. Moreover, uh, this is after I met them, the team is very well educated and motivated. Uh, the company is financially healthy and, and well, and it's located in the beautiful city of Barcelona, which is practically in, in my backyard. So uh, I, I look, uh, I truly look forward to this uh, to new challenge, and I'm confident uh, Fractus Antennas has a true opportunity of driving extreme value for the uh, IoT market with our solutions. You know, it's, it's interesting as you laid out the, the reasons why um, and, and you hit Barcelona. Actually, I probably would have put that one at the front. <laughs> Quality of life being what it is. But yeah, phenomenal uh, team from what I've seen so far and uh, technology base. And uh, I think uh, having you in as CEO is the uh, piece to uh, really help drive them um, and drive uh, growth in there. So uh, congratulations. I think it's a great choice. And it's what we call a pinch point technology, as you call bottleneck. We look for those specific pinch points uh, that um, represent a technology or two that could be invested upon, kind of like uh, uh, how Warren Buffett has purported to make his investments in infrastructure per se as well. So um, I guess with that background of, of Fractus now and really with your deep background in terms of, uh, let's say, LPN, what, what do you see as the largest opportunities and challenges for uh, LPN deployments? Yeah, as I mentioned, LP1 probably will disappear as an acronym. However, every edge device needs to, to connect to a network uh, to, to transmit data to. So the larger opportunity is to embed the radio access network, the RAM, uh, either as a chip or as a software-defined radio into almost any gateway, router, set-top box, or even TV set. Uh, to give you an idea, with the range of LoRa, you only need one out of 50 households to have a gateway type of device to connect the whole city. So you get my point, you don't need too many to have coverage. 
And the one who enables those kind of rollouts will become a winner, certainly in consumer, but also for industrial IoT. Uh, apply a data broker principle to those gateways. So whatever is received now is, is shared on, on, on the internet. And you have connectivity everywhere with lots of redundancy to guarantee very good SLAs, even in unlicensed bands. And for those rural areas where there's not sufficient coverage, the existing tower concept will remain or be taken over by satellite. The challenge for LP1, in, in my opinion, is the same as for Wi-Fi. Enable data access anywhere through cloud-centric platforms, whereas the data is secure and shared when approved uh, by the owner through a free of charge or paid subscription model. The um, it's interesting because it, it reminds me a bit of um, helium is what you've described in terms of the you know kind of patterns of deployment and and many of you know we uh, we interviewed the uh, their uh, COO not too long ago for one of these podcasts as uh, as well um, and uh, and I really like their kind of bottom up if you will they call themselves the uh, the the uh, um, the people network, um, uh, probably in contrast to the, the things network, as uh, you know, as 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 is a, uh, a trademark out there. Um, so the World Economic Forum has has used this term, the Great Reset, which I kind of like, referring to the longer term impact of, of course, the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. What do you see as the impact of this reset on um, LP WAN, or as I guess as you're talking about more and more edge computing? Yeah, I, th I think this reset is, is ongoing uh, and like uh, the IoT market will have a long tail uh, until we have a good mitigation against uh, COVID-19 in terms of uh, an adequate and widely available uh, vaccine. In the meantime, uh, we, we've all learned how to adapt already. You know, companies like Zoom or Amazon truly benefit from the digital workplace needs, uh, workplace needs and, and, and the ripple effect. Uh, for LP1, or more generically IoT, uh, any edge sensor, as I mentioned, need to be connected, uh, resulting uh, in, in two major impacts. First of all, new use cases are surfacing in order to monitor and manage the risks of people and employees being exposed. For example, most of the smart building use cases, which is a market that is well on track, uh, well, the use cases we knew before are, are now nice to have and topics like temperature, people counting, and social distancing have created many new opportunities. So for solution providers, uh, agility to be able to adapt using the same kind of slightly adapted uh, sensors will be paramount. Uh, good security and privacy message will need to be agreed through standards and, and regulation. However, I do not see that as an issue as we all share our location also for traffic information and trust the service provider to handle the, the collected sensitive data with the appropriate privacy mindset. And as the punishments are severe, I expect the IoT market to follow what has happened uh, online and become more regulated with clear enforcement and opt-out uh, if, if needed. Second, the, the forced uh, distancing result in a much wider acceptance of remote working. This has already positive impacts, uh, for example, for smart cities in terms of air quality and, and less traffic delays. Uh, the people, uh, the, the fact that the people and, and the employers are now have learned it kind of the hard way drives and, and speeds up the general acceptance of digitalization. So to me, the, the window of uh, opportunity to connect as many sensors to the cloud has only become bigger and potentially may have a, a positive impact on the IoT industry and thus also on, on LP1. We we couldn't agree more. We are um, we did a 
a webinar earlier for the February, March timeframe when COVID was first starting. And what we saw some early indications of a uh, what we started to call a digital accelerator at that point. Um, we're doing the sequel to this coming up in early September. And we've actually termed this the great digital accelerator because all of the stats we're looking at, uh, qualitative, quantitative, anecdotal, are pointing to the fact that every one of our portfolio companies are doing well. Um, our peer companies are doing well, and uh, you know, venture capital and our uh, uh, a lot of our clients, i.e., private equity firms, are doing very well. And all what's the common theme is digital, and more importantly, remote uh, asset management and all of that. So. Um, I think edge connectivity, LP WAN, uh, you know, edge, however you want to refer to it, is an actual critical component, which is why we've, you know, of course, invested behind uh, that space and very specifically Laura WAN as a as a winner. So, um, as digital industry investors, we always like to ask, you know, for your recommendations on interesting startups. And I know you've had a lot because you've referred a lot over your tenure at uh, at Semtech to us. Who are, in your minds, are the ones to watch right now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, however, uh, this is a forward-looking statement, so it comes without any guarantee, right? <laughs> but um, I follow companies like uh, Edge Impulse and EPs. Uh, both are good examples of horizontal tech companies, which have solutions for uh, artificial intelligence and energy harvesting. And that is stuff, in my opinion, will exist in almost any IoT device within the next five years. Moreover, uh, knowing the people who drive the core technology and, for example, Edge Impulse, I believe they are capable of something special in, in, in their domain. Another example uh, is Rubix, uh, which is known for its so-called uh, electronic nose, basically one of the uh, vertical solutions, which is uh, true disruptive in the way of using sensors and combining this with uh, fingerprinting. Think like Shazam knows what, uh, what music is playing. They detect stuff in the air and know what is what kind of odors uh, and particles are in there and and propose remediation actions so in a in a real world example this means uh, one does not count if a toilet is being used 50 or 100 times before cleaning it but when it needs to be clean because of the cleanliness of the air another great example uh, I, I truly like is a cable in an electrical cabinet start emitting particles, uh, it should not. And, and this typically indicates a risk of malfunctioning and, and happens long before the electrical issues cause uh, visible smoke or fire. And Rubix is simply able to determine when the smell is not right and provide alerts. We, uh, we obviously share your enthusiasm around Edge Impulse since uh, we, uh, we um, were uh, an investor in their, their uh, most recent round. I think you were influential in that. Uh, and I like Rubik's. I really, you know, I agree with you. These, again, as we talk about kind of horizontal or pinch point technologies that have broad applicability to raise, especially new use cases like what Zach is doing at Edge Impulse are, are pretty interesting stuff. So uh, two, uh, two very good calls in there, among others. So in closing, yeah, we always like to ask a question around, you know, what what inspires you? So can you provide any recommendations of books or resources that, you know, that inspire you? Yeah, sure. The, 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 despite the, you know, the, the, the fact that the gray hair and experience help also, I always look for, for guidance and, and how to be more effective, whether from books or people. And the books that help me uh, are focused on uh, communication and execution. If, uh, if you like the Dutch approach, uh, try uh, Radical Candor. This is about how to motivate people with direct feedback and help them advance or abort. And the second one uh, I truly like is uh, Not Try, Only Do from uh, Andy Bailey. 
which very well explains how to define a purpose, align the resources and make each and everyone accountable when building a team to win the Champions League. Because in the end, we're not all Messi's or, or Michael Jordan's. And as for people, my inspiration comes from those that surprise me and keep me thinking. Uh, the most brilliant guy I have met is, uh, is called Stala Pettersson, a Norwegian guy and a colleague in, in the LoRa team at Semtech, who has the, the brain power to master a technology to its full detail and being able to translate and embed this into solutions for markets, which initially even do not exist. And on a more personal basis, I've never had more fun than wandering through the very north of Norway with him and a few others until we saw the, the famous Northern Lights. You know, uh, they, they often tell people to imagine your life backwards from the epitaph that you want to have on your tombstone. And if, if I could, I don't think I could think of two better phrases to describe you as number one, radical candor, and number two, not try, only do. <laughs> and and fully agree with your uh, your seconding of uh, Astala, you know, one of uh, several very key people of which I know you've been a part of that kind of inner circle at um and Semtech really driving the future, and uh, so uh, all good. So, yeah, thank you v so much for this uh, insightful interview. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Ken. It, it was a pleasure to be here with you today, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, meet again soon. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we will, actually. So this has been Yap Group, CEO of Fractus Antennas and a longtime digital industry entrepreneur. And uh, I would say uh, a bit of a, a controversialist uh, in terms of future predictions. And uh, I always like that in people. So thank you for listening. And please join us next week. Digital Industry Leadership Podcast Series produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening. <laughs>